Uh, We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 1, starting with verse 15 today. If you turn in your Bibles there. I'm going to start reading at verse 15, and I'm going to read all the way through the end of the chapter, verse 26 there. It says, In those days Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120, and said, Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man bought a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akodama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have uh, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two: Joseph called Barsabas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias, and they prayed and who was also called Justice, excuse me, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thanks for showing your grace, even by giving us your word. And so I pray that you would open our hearts and speak to us today. And God, help us to, um, to see you uh, as you deserve to be seen and to worship you as you deserve to be worshiped and to respond to you today, Lord, as you deserve to be responded to. Help us to see ourselves as your creatures, those created by you and you as the creator of the world and the ruler over everything, and help us to submit to you accordingly. And we pray that you'd be glorified in all that we do, whether we're looking at your word, whether we're responding to you, whether we are singing, whether we are loving each other. God, be glorified through us today. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, we start the passage off today, and uh, right where we left off last week, it says that Peter stood up. There's 120 followers of Jesus at this point meeting together. And Peter stands up to address the crowd, this group of 120 people. And really, he's standing up. He's, he's really his main purpose is to kind of answer um, the question or questions that pretty much everyone in this group are asking. And that's this. What in the world happened to Judas? I mean, If you don't know the story, Judas was one of the twelve. He walked with Jesus. He was taught by Jesus. He saw the same miracles that the other eleven saw. He saw him raise the dead. He saw him turn water into wine. He saw him heal people. Judas saw everything that the other disciples saw. And he turned and he turned Jesus in. He's the reason he's the guy that that went to the, the religious leaders and said, hey, You give me money, I'll give you Jesus. And so for an amount of money, he turns Jesus in. Jesus is arrested. He's he suffers and and he's killed. And uh, and it's all Judas. 
And Judas is the guy that turns him in. And he's, he's the same guy that walked with them, that, that Jesus washed his feet. And so you can imagine, here's 120 followers, followers of Jesus who are all saying, what in the world happened to Judas? Why would he do that? I mean, he saw the same things we saw. How could he see all of that and not believe? How could he see the things that Jesus did and not believe, just like we believe, that he's the son of God? Where did it, what happened? And so Peter stands up and really his purpose is to address those issues and, and, and that question that's going around in, in people's minds. And so he stands up and, and uh, again, remember, there's there's about 120 of them. And he says, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled. When it talks about scripture, it's talking about this. It's talking about God's word, what they had of God's word to that point. Obviously, this part wasn't written. He wasn't reading these verses to them. Uh, but the Old Testament, the law and, and, and uh, what we call the Old Testament, referring to this scripture and, and saying, uh, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled. It's true today. Okay, this is this is a clear teaching where Peter, or uh, yeah, where Peter is affirming that Scripture is not um, just from men. That's what he says in the next part, brothers. The Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand. Peter's giving us clear teaching that that Scripture is not just stuff that men wrote down, and so we're just like, let's just follow it. Let's just follow these guys. No. It's God speaking through men. In fact, there's two other verses that refer to the same thing. Uh, the first one is Second Peter 1.21, where Peter is writing in this letter. He says, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Same teaching that he's giving here. God's word, scripture, is given to us by God. He uses men to speak it, to write it, to, to articulate it to us. But it's by God. It's his Holy Spirit that moved people along. In fact, Second um, Timothy 3.16, it words it this way. Paul's writing in his letter. He says, all scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out by God. Some translations use the word inspired by God. And it's this idea of God is speaking and using people to write it down so that this many years later, we have God's word. And we can trust and know that these things will come true. And it's just like Peter's saying in this, you guys, you guys, if it's God's word, it had to happen. If God spoke it, it had to happen. And we can we can trust that today. If God is God and he spoke something, then it has to come true or he's not God. He can't be God and be perfect and be holy and be loving and be kind and be truthful and then speak something that doesn't happen. And so that's what Peter's saying is, listen, the Holy Spirit spoke. That's God. And so it had to happen. And he's referring. We're going to look at the verse he's referring to. Um, but he says this, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand. What, what he's saying is just in the same way that if you look through the Old Testament, there's there's all of these times where it promises that there's going to be a Messiah that comes that was Jesus Christ. And not only is there a Messiah that's going to come, but he's going to suffer and he's going to die. And what Peter's saying is just like hundreds of years before it was told in the scriptures that Jesus was going to come and that Jesus was going to die and that Jesus was, was, was going to be the Messiah. In the same way, it also told ahead of time beforehand that this is going to happen to Judas. 
And so if God spoke it, it had to happen. Yes, he was our friend. Yes, he's, he's someone that we cared about. Yes, he walked with. Yes, he saw the same things that we saw Jesus do. But it had to happen. It was God's word and God's promise. So he goes on, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Peter's referring to him and, and what he did as, as the guide to those who took Jesus and, and arrested him and, and then eventually killed him. Verses 17 and 18, four, he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Just talking about, yes, Judas was one of us. He was a part of us and, and walked with us. And it goes on and explains in these next verses what actually happened to Judas. Um, now, this man in, in these next two verses. Now, this man bought a field with the reward of his wickedness. Remember, we talked about he goes to the to the Pharisees. He says, you, you, what do you give me for to turn in uh, Jesus? And he gave him these pieces of silver. And so uh, with that money, it says, um, uh, he bought a field with the reward of his wickedness. Now, literally, uh, Judas didn't kill himself and then go and buy a field with the money. Uh, what it's talking about is the money that was his was used to buy a field which he was buried in. OK, and so that money being his and that field being bought with his money was his field bought by him. OK, that's what it's talking about, because dead people don't buy fields and bury themselves in it. Now, this man bought a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. You can figure that one out yourself. We won't go into detail. Uh, and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now, here's the thing, OK? Uh, it is a big deal that that verse prior to we're going to mention. I'm not going to explain what that looks like. Uh, I don't have slides this morning, but. In Matthew's account, if you look at the, the story of Judas, what it says is Judas went out. Do you know what he says? What did he do? Hung himself. He hung himself. And here it goes through and says a little more graphic details. Uh, here, here's the thing, okay? Uh, we have to remember that Luke is a doctor. I had a friend named Sean, lived in Dayton. And uh, Sean was a very good friend of mine, and he was a doctor. Sean and I told things differently, <laughs> Uh, when it had to do with things like this, you know, if I were to say guy had surgery the other day, if Sean told the same story, it was a little grosser to say the least, uh, because Sean just was passionate about that. And he liked to tell the details. And every week he would come in, we hook up. Yeah, I got to cut a leg off today. Well, that's great, Sean. I prepared a sermon. That's good. Uh, and so that was Sean. That's just how and, and that's how he thought because he was a doctor and, and that's how he explained things. Well, remember, the writer of this book acts as what? A doctor. OK. And so he's going to give us more detail of what happened. And so the probability is uh, that Judas did hang himself. And whether the branch didn't hold or the rope didn't hold or he's not a good knot tire or whatever it is, he probably fell down the cliff. And the result of falling down the cliff onto rocks is verse 18. All right. And so it becomes known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Uh, we explain that why, because, man, people can take these two verses and say, well, Matthew says he hung himself and Luke in Acts says that he fell and uh, all of his bowels poured out. So scripture is obviously 
wrong. Well, that's not true. We can't just look at something like that. We have to look at the context of it and who wrote it and and look at the nature of those writers. And, And Luke, if you look through the Gospel of Luke, he's way more detailed than Matthew is. He's way more detailed than Mark is. He's more detailed than John is. Why? Because he's a doctor and, and he's an historian. And so that's just what they do. That, if, you talk, if you meet a doctor, talk to a doctor. Don't bring up falling on rocks because that's the story you're probably going to get. Okay? Uh, so it goes into verse 20 explaining what Peter is talking about. Remember in verse 16 he says, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit uh, spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide, those verses he, he's talking about are in verse 20 here. It says, For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it. Speaking beforehand of Judas's death. Okay? That comes from uh, Psalm 69, verse 25, where hundreds of years before is speaking forward to this part. And then the second part of that is, Let another take his office and and that comes from psalm 109 verse 8 where peter's just saying not only does scripture say that that judas was going to betray jesus it also said he was going to die and it also said that we have to replace him we can't just stay the way we are we're going to replace him we still are going to be the 12 we still are going to have 12 uh disciples and so he goes through in this next section is the choosing of the uh, replacement for judas the 12th disciple and so it says in verse 21, so one of the men who have uh, who have accompanied us, this is still Peter talking. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us. One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So here's the the uh, the qualifications. Uh, number one is that that uh, what's these verses that he accompanied with the disciples. It wasn't a guy who just jumped in at the end of Jesus's ministry, but whoever the replacement for Judas is going to be has to be a guy who has walked from the day that Jesus was baptized, from the time that Jesus was baptized all the way through uh, the three plus years of his ministry, all the way through it all. Um, and, and that's the main qualification. Why is that? Because remember what what has just been said by Jesus to the disciples, to the apostles, you're going to be my what? Holy Spirit's going to come on you, you're going to receive power, and you're going to be my witnesses, okay? And so obviously a major qualification for one of the 12 who's going to be the main witnesses for Christ is that they can witness to all the things that Jesus did. And so obviously to do that, you had to be there and see all the parts of it. And so the qualification is that from the time that Jesus' ministry began, through his resurrection, it has to be a guy that's been there for all of it, walked every day of it. And so they bring forward two people. Uh, verse 23, they put forward two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and the second one is Matthias. They put the two before, obviously that means that those two have been, uh, which is kind of cool, by the way, um, these are two guys that from the time that Jesus was baptized, they've been walking and following Jesus ever since. You don't hear about them. In fact, you don't hear about them again. We talked about that last week, Matthias. You don't hear a word about him again for the rest of the Bible. And yet here's guys that they just followed Jesus. They saw him baptized and they believed what he said. They saw him do miracles. They just stayed with him and they were faithful to him. And they have a big, big, big story, except for the fact that they're one of the 12 disciples, which is 
pretty good. If you're going to make it into one of the verses of the Bible, that's a good one to be in. Uh, but, but that's it. But we know that they were with Christ this whole time. And so it puts, uh, they put the two of these um, disciple wannabes uh, in front of the disciples and, and, uh, and they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them and the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So they have the two um, guys who, who, who are putting before the people. And what do they do first? They pray, God, give us wisdom. Show us who you want to replace Judas, who you have chosen to replace Judas as one of the 12 apostles. And it says that um, as they put them forward, they, they, uh, they pray first and then they cast lots. Now, casting lots um, was an acceptable way of making decisions in the Old Testament. Okay? In fact, there's a, there's a proverb, uh, Proverbs 16.33. It says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. I don't know exactly what it looks like. Um, I don't know what they did exactly, uh, whether it's similar to rolling dice type thing or whatever. There's something that has to do with the, the, with the uh, lot falling into the lap or uh, whatever it is. Um, this is the method that you, know, you see in the Old Testament. Now, two things about that, okay? Uh, it's the last time that it's mentioned in the Bible. Okay, because so it was an acceptable way of making decisions, but it's the last time it's mentioned. And the reason that is, is the next thing that we're talking about in Scripture is, remember the promise that Jesus made, the Holy Spirit is going to come. If I leave, then the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit is going to come. He's going to direct you. He's going to help you. He's going to lead you. He's going to guide you. And so once the Holy Spirit comes to those who follow Christ, that's God's leading and directing and guiding. And so there's no need to throw things or roll things or whatever it is to make decisions anymore. That leading, that guiding, that decision making is us coming before God. Show us through your Holy Spirit. Teach us through your Holy Spirit. Direct us through your Holy Spirit. Guide us. Help us through your Holy Spirit to make these decisions. And so it's not necessary to do this after this point, but they do it. Okay, the second thing we need to know about is what were they doing in the process? They were praying. They were praying. What was their prayer? Their reliance was not on the lots themselves, but God showing them, showing them through this method. That was their prayer. God, you show us. Not this show us. God, you show us through this what you want us to do. What you have decided already should be done. Okay, and so it's, it's not them depending on the lots. It's them depending on God and that's the whole uh, explanation of Proverbs sixteen thirty three. You can you can cast a lot, you can throw things in the air, you can you can draw straws, whatever. Okay, you can cast lots, but every decision of it comes from God. He's in control of it all. It's every decision comes from the Lord. And it's not going to do and result in something that God doesn't want to happen. All right. All right. Uh, three things I want to talk about this morning. All right. Uh, because it's it's the last time we're we're gonna uh, talk about Judas, and you got this issue with Judas, who's one of the twelve disciples, walks with Jesus. I mean, we should have the same questions, right? You look at a guy who walks with Jesus, sees his miracle. We haven't got to see that. We haven't got to do that. We didn't get to walk with Jesus. We didn't get to see the miracles. We didn't get to see Jesus do the things that were astounding people that didn't even believe in him. We didn't get to see that. And here's a guy that did. Here's a guy that got in on all of the teaching, all of that. And he bails. 
He turns his back on Jesus and he turns him in and hands him over to the authorities. And so what in the world? We should have the same question that those 120. What is going on? And so what I want to talk about is three things, three things that we need to know and learn from Judas. Okay, three things that we have to learn as followers. We've got to know these three things from Judas's life. All right. And the first one is this. Spending time with Jesus does not save you. Spending time with Jesus does not save you. Going to the same places that his people go does not save you. And it doesn't secure that for you. Going to church, reading your Bible, doing those things does not save you. If so, Judas is is safe, right? Because he was physically with Jesus for three and a half years. Day in, day out, day in, day out. Saw the miracles. Helped him do stuff. I mean, put work things together. He took care of the money. I mean, he he was a important guy, right? He took care of all the finances for the disciples. And so he's working. He's doing something with Jesus. And it didn't save him. And so spending time, spending time with Jesus doesn't save you. Now, let me kind of go into this, okay? Salvation comes from no one else. This is, this is Acts, okay? Salvation comes from no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved, okay? Got to start there. We can't get saved outside of Jesus, but just spending time with Jesus isn't what saves us, okay? We cannot go and, 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 and expect to make it to heaven apart from Christ. He says that, John 14, 6. Jesus said himself, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one can come to the Father. No one can get into heaven. No one can be forgiven of sins except through me. And so we're kind of stuck. What does that mean then? I'm, I've been hanging out with Jesus. I go to church as often as I can. I, I do what I think are the right things. I mean... So what does that mean? What what is salvation then? I just want to make this clear, okay? Number one, it's it's uh, salvation comes when we submit in these four ways. Number one, it comes when we submit to Christ as the greatest of all treasures. Number one, top, the very first thing. Salvation doesn't come just by going to church. It doesn't come by just reading my Bible. It doesn't come from those things. It comes when number one, I submit. To Christ is the greatest of all treasures. Matthew 13, 44. We talked about it at Easter. We've talked about it a few times since then. The kingdom of God, salvation, is like a man who, on finding a treasure in a field, he hides it. And in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has so he can get the field. Why? What's the meaning of that? He finds something that's worth more value than anything he has or anything he could ever get in this world. And it's God. It's God and and salvation is when we come to the realization that God, you are it. You're the greatest treasure that I could ever find. You're the greatest treasure I could ever have. And I'm submitting to you as that. I'm submitting to you because there's nothing else I could get that can even match you. And so I'm giving up everything else and I'm going to go with you. I'm going to follow you. The next part is this. It comes when we submit to him as the payment for our sins. The payment for our sins. Romans 3. Let me read these verses for you. Romans 3, starting with verse 23, says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, all of us. Verse 24, And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom, Christ Jesus, whom 
God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. That phrase, Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. That word propitiation means a means of forgiveness. That God put forward Jesus Christ as a means of forgiveness for us. And he's the only way. And so we have to submit to him as the payer of our sins and the only way that we can have forgiveness from God. Okay. The third thing is this. It comes when we submit to him as the rewarder. To him as the rewarder. Not our good deeds, but to him as the rewarder. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. It's not those who worked hard enough and did enough stuff and, and, and kept the money for the disciples and, and did all went along with Jesus. No, it's those who just, who just say in faith, God, I know you're God. I know you paid for my sins. I knew the greatest treasure I could ever have, and I know it's you. It's not me. It's you that rewards those who trust you in faith. It's all you. It's not me. And the fourth thing is, is this, and this is just as important as all of these, okay? It's those who submit to him as the Lord and leader of their life. Mark eight thirty four. Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, if anyone wants to come after me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. Denying yourself, putting yourself aside and saying, God, you're it. You're the Lord. You're the king. I'm going to deny myself. It's not me anymore. It's you. I'm submitting to you, God. For whatever you desire, whatever you call me to, whatever it is, I'm submitting to you. You're it. You're the master of my life. Romans 10. Verse 9 says this. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, real quick, confessing your mouth with your mouth that Jesus is Lord is a lot deeper than praying a prayer. OK, a lot deeper than praying a prayer, because confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord is saying this. God, you are the master of my life. That's what Lord means. I mean, that's just it. I mean, that's the definition. What does Lord mean? It means master. And so. God, you're the master of my life. And that means I am your servant. I'm your servant. And I'll do whatever, God, you ask of me. I'll do it. I'll do whatever it is. And so the first thing we have to learn from Judas, guys, is is, salvation isn't going to come just because we attend church. It's not going to come just because we have called ourselves a Christian. It's not going to come because we've, we've said that we're one of the Christians, just like Judas was one of the 12 disciples. It's not going to come through that. It only comes through faith and trust and believing God that he gave his son as the only payment for our sins. The only one, not our works, but Jesus Christ alone as the payment for our sins. Second thing we have to learn from uh, from Judas is this remorse is not the same as repentance. Remorse is not the same as repentance. Matthew, um, go ahead and turn to Matthew. So I want you to see what happens after Judas turns Jesus in. All right. They come and arrest Jesus. And in Matthew 27, starting with verse 3, uh, just reading verses 3 and 4. 
It says this. Actually, let's look at verse 2 so we, we have um, context here. It says, And they bound him, talking about Jesus, and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate the governor. So he's been arrested, all right? And this is what Judas does. Then, when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, What is that to us? See, it, see to it yourself. Judas, I mean, as far as some of us would say, he said he was sorry. I mean, he said he was sorry. He said he did the wrong thing. And so how come Peter says that he went to his own place, which is talking about hell? How can it say that if he said he was sorry? And this is very important for us to know, okay? There is a huge difference between being sorry and feeling remorse and repentance, okay? There's a huge difference in feeling sorry and repentance. A couple of verses. Judas was sorry, I mean, but a lot of us are sorry, okay? A couple of verses um, that I want to look at. Acts 3.19, we're going to talk about this in a few weeks, and I love this verse. So I'm just going to mention it to you, uh, because this is why it's important, because Peter, when he's talking, um, uh, when he's preaching here in the next couple chapters, he says, repent, therefore, repent, Therefore, and return that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I love that verse. Okay, but there's a huge important thing that happens at the beginning. Repent that your sins can be wiped away. They can be washed away and then you can have times of refreshing from the Lord. That's that's good. That's what we want. Right. And so what does this repentance mean? What does it mean to repent? It's not just feeling sorry for what you did. It's a turning away from the, the wickedness in your life. It's a turning away from the things that you know that God has said, don't do them. God says, don't do it. It's not just, I did it. Man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I did that. It's, it's, it's not even just feeling guilty about it. It's, it's a turning away. Repentance is literally turning around and going the other way. It's a completely change of course, a complete change of course. In fact, um, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, verses 10 and 11. It's Paul writing, and he says this, For godly grief, feeling sorry, produces a repentance, if it's from God, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly regret or worldly grief produces death. Godly grief produces repentance. If if our grief is really tied to the fact that, God, we disobeyed you, then what it's going to lead to is genuine repentance, a turning around and going towards God, not continuing to go away. However, if it's just worldly repentance, which is this, Man, I hate that I got caught. If we break it down, half the time that we feel sorry, it's we're feeling sorry for ourselves. It's not that we really are grieving that we have offended the God who's in heaven. It's not that we're really sorrowful that God has, has, has had his law broken by us, which is the very reason that Jesus had to die. It's not a godly grief where we're coming before God and saying, God, please forgive me and help me to turn away from this sin and go the direction of you. It's not that at all. It's, 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 it's really a self-centered grief. I don't want people to think of me like that. 
I don't want people to think that I do that kind of stuff. I don't want others to know that I've done this, that I've committed this horrible thing. Because what will they think of me? And if we search our heart, really, a lot of the times when we feel guilty, when we feel bad, we have to examine, am I, am I really, really repenting because, God, I have offended you? God, I have turned my back on you. God, I've done what you told me not to do. God, I have sinned against you. If it's that, then what Paul says is that's godly grief. And what it's going to lead to is repentance, it's a turning around. It's, it's a seeking God and asking him, change me, God, change me. Do what I can't do, change me. But if it's just a feeling sorry because we turned the guy in and he's going to be killed now, and it's not that we've offended God, then it's, that it's not repentance at all and it doesn't bring forgiveness at all. So remorse is not the same as repentance. The third thing is this, and this is... Bear with me here, okay? The third thing is this. Uh, we're held responsible for our sins. All right. We are held responsible. That's the third thing we have to learn from Judas. We're held responsible for our sins. Acts one twenty five. the thing we just just referred to, the verse we just referred to. Starting with verse 24, they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. OK, his own place is referring to hell. All right. And so what it's saying is, God, give us someone to replace Judas who made a decision, who turned aside and made a decision. And the repercussions of that decision are hell. All right. Now, here's the thing. This is why it's a big deal. All right. Uh, Because we talk a lot in here about the sovereignty of God. God's in control. He's in control of everything. In fact, uh, there's a verse in Hebrews I know we're jumping around a lot, but uh, it's all stuff we have, we need to know. But in Hebrews, talking about Jesus, in Hebrews 1, 3, it says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. He is in control of everything that's taken place. He's sovereign. He's the ruler of everything. Okay. And so we have this thing from scripture where we know that God is the ultimate. He is it. He's the creator and he's the sustainer and he's the one that rules and carries on the existence of everything. What that verse in Hebrews is saying is, is if, if he stopped holding it, it wouldn't be. He's upholding it all. He's carrying it along. You know, there's, a, there's a group of us that, that meets together, and we're going through this book by Wayne Grudem called Bible Doctrine. It goes through this kind of stuff and, and just talks about the, the complexities of God and things that we don't understand and we can't understand. And that's the thing that I, I want to quote um, uh, or summarize a quote from, from Wayne Grudem from his book because here's the thing we have to know from Hebrews 1.3. Uh, we can know that God is never surprised. He was not surprised when Judas betrayed his son. He wasn't surprised. He's not surprised by things that we do. He's not surprised by catastrophes that happen in the world. He is not surprised. He's in control of it all, okay? And, 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 And that's a tough thing to understand that we have responsibility for our sins, and yet we have a God who is so huge and so incredible and so amazing that he's in control of all of it. He oversees all of it. He upholds all of it by his very word. 
I want to I want to summarize um, this from Wayne Grudem. It says this somehow in God's infinite wisdom and ability, he has created us with a sense of will and an ability to make choices within his will that have real effects. And we are therefore held responsible for those real choices. God is God and we are his creatures. God is God and we are those he's created to do what he has said. And if we don't do it, we're responsible. We're responsible for our responses. We're responsible for our actions. We're responsible for how we deal with God. Do we submit to him or do we not? If we don't submit to him, then everything that he says is going to take place is going to take place. We'll be held responsible for that. And so I don't, as a creature, as a created one, I don't understand everything about God. And that's okay. That's okay with me. I'm fine with that. I don't want to understand everything about God because if I do, that means he's equal or less than me. And I, I certainly, I know me. I know my thoughts. I know my insides. I know what I'm like. And I don't want God to be like that. I want God to be way above me. I want him to be far above my comprehension. That's just what I want in God. Okay? And so I don't, I don't understand all of that about God. But here's the thing. It doesn't make me push away from God that I can't understand him. It doesn't do that for me. And what it should do for us and what it does for me, it makes me the created respond to God as the creator and as any created thing should respond to the creator. Number one, it, it, it makes me respond as, and I say this, David was right. When he, when he spoke in Psalm 119, 68, you are good and do good. God, you're good and do good. I don't understand everything you do, God. I cannot figure it out. You know, we were sitting in this uh, group this last week, talking about this very thing, okay? God's in control, he's, he's sovereign, he's the ruler. And we're like trying to like, okay, and now we've got free will and choices that we make and yet God's in control. And, and our end result was, God, you are good and you do good. You're the creator and we're the created and we are just gonna submit to you because you're God and you deserve it. The second thing it causes me to do is this. God, you spoke rightly through Isaiah when you said that your thoughts are higher than my thoughts and your ways are higher than my ways. And as high as the heavens are above the earth, your thoughts are higher than my thoughts and your ways higher than my ways. That's Isaiah 55. God, you are higher. You are greater. My ways and my thoughts don't even come close to scratching the surface to the beginning of your ways and thoughts. You're so much higher than I am. And so God, I just, I say you're great. You're awesome. I don't understand you completely, but I know what I have to do. I got to submit to you. I got to submit to you. And so therefore I proclaim with the psalmist in Psalm 73 verses 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven? Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And is that how we respond to God? Is that what you say about God when you're just sitting there and you're like, God, I can't even make sense of you. I can't even figure you out. I can't understand you. I can't, but I've experienced you. And so my response is, who am I in heaven but you? 
And there's nothing on earth I desire beside you. My heart, my flesh may fail, but God, you, you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. And God, thank you. Thank you for revealing anything to us about yourself. You're so far above us. You're so far beyond our understanding. And and God, what I don't want is for us to leave with confusion. And yet what I do want is for us to leave thinking higher of you and realizing that there is always going to be confusion if we're talking about the God of the universe. There's always going to be things about you that we will never understand. And so God, I pray that you would As you have said you will do, speak light into our hearts. Open our eyes to understand as much as we can about you, God. Help us to seek your face. Help us to not push away. Help us to not step back from you. But God, help us to embrace you and to to declare with the psalmist those words. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God, you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Be glorified in us, God. Help us to love you more than anything else. Help us to treasure you above all things and help us to even understand what in the world that means, God. And so we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.